Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Ireland Creates. I'm your host, Ashling O'Rourke, and if you've been following this podcast for the last while, you'll know it's all about sharing the story of Irish storytellers, both those based here in Ireland, those living abroad, and those who have made Ireland their home. On today's episode, we're going to be speaking with Shia Conlon, a transgender artist originally from Ross Grey in County Tipperary in Ireland, but now Shia has made Finland his home. I do hope you enjoy today's episode. Shia's story is absolutely fascinating and his artwork is really interesting. So I do hope you look Shia Conlon up on social media after the episode. I will say though, we'd had a few technical issues doing this recording. It was an international attempt. Our first year on Ireland Creates Basically, um, Shia's broadband didn't hold up all that well, so we had to use Zoom for this recording. I normally use something else with a little bit of a better audio quality. So please do bear with us as the audio isn't up to standard in some parts due to um, the connection going out, in and out a little bit. But hey, it's all trial and error. We hope to be able to record episodes of Ireland Creates in person in the not-too-distant future. But for now, I do hope you enjoy Shia's story. Hi, I'm Shia Conlon and I'm an artist and writer originally from Ireland, but based in Helsinki at the moment in Finland. Um, and I work across a variety of mediums, such as like photography, film, poetry, sculpture, and most of my work has been um, about growing up in working class Catholic Ireland and kind of centres around, I guess, the voices of marginalised people. Well, Shia, welcome to Ireland Creates, the show all about uh, storytellers and storytelling. And the whole aim of the programme is to try and promote contemporary artists in in Ireland. Um, So it's a pleasure to speak to you. Um, I know we've had some technical glitches and we've been trying to do this for a couple of days now. So I'm really hoping that the technology keeps working with us. So Shia, I know like you're now working in living and working in Finland, which I definitely want to ask you about um, because it's not a country I'm all that familiar with but I want to go back mm. to your youth and you grew up in Tipperary am I right in saying that? Yes that's right. So were you like were you an artsy child? Uh, I guess I was yes um, I think I was very much that kind of uh, child who spent a lot of time on, on their own and my parents said that I was always like in my room kind of creating my own stories and uh, I used to do that through drawing and painting, but also like I started to uh, learn language at school. I would write a lot of stories also. And I think it kind of, it was always present, but then it started to kind of accelerate when I got this uh, Christmas gift around the time of, I think I was seven or eight, um, which was like an art easel that came with this VHS tape um, where you could like learn how to draw with this, Irish animator and it was called Let's Animate with Tina and I would just like sit and repetitively watch that for like I don't know like every weekend and and draw the the things that she was teaching kids to draw and then I would like send the uh, drawings to her and she showed them on RT before so I was very happy about that as a child but yeah I, I think I was an artistic child. 
I think, I know I definitely had a Let's Animate VHS, so I think it might have been this. <laughs> we might be of the same vintage, put it that way. Um, <laughs> so, like, the like drawing um, is something that I think we can get, like, you know, as people, we get a bit precious about, like, and we tend to use language like, oh, I'm not good at drawing or I'm good at drawing. And it seems to be very yeah. black and white how we talk about it. Um yeah. How did you approach it as a, as a as a youngster? Really, like, was it was it something that you were naturally drawn to? I think I was like I was always doodling, probably like most kids. Um, but I think I really understand this this preciousness around drawing because it, now it's something that I think I say to myself that oh, I can't I can't draw I can't draw well because I'm around so many artists who have like. Uh, use drawing as their medium for many years but now I'm trying to get back to this kind of like childlike play that I had when I was younger and just not care about you know things looking realistic or things matching the form and just yeah like going back to this kind of playful side but I think as a kid I didn't know any of these rules of course like most children so I was just like yeah kind of um, playing I guess yeah. I think it's something that I think adults all over the world we have in common that we kind of like we look to people who we think of as good drawers um, mm. and like, oh, like I'm an artist, but I paint. I don't draw like I, ca- yeah, I can't yeah. draw. And it seems to be this like this real thing that a lot of people around the world have this artificial barrier about that. Like you said, that we have these rules that we yeah. put up for ourselves. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's probably relates to having this like huge historical um, background of like of of amazing um, people who used drawing as their medium and this kind of uh, classical idea of what drawing should be and that when you sit down to draw something that it should you know reproduce what's in front of you but I think um, most of my friends who are using it don't use it that way at all and aren't trained and they're kind of just like trying to produce maybe uh, the feeling of something and not the actual, you know, realistic form. But when you say drawing, I think so many people just think, yeah, you just sit down and like reproduce exactly what you see in front of you. So it's one thing you got the easel when you're around, what, seven or eight and you were really into it. Did you keep it going through the teenage years? I think during the teenage years, I kind of like came away from drawing. I mean, I still would do like little doodles but I would never like really sit down and like do a drawing from start to finish but I did get really interested in my parents cameras so they had like a an old um, VHS camcorder and then we had a just a very basic point and shoot 35 millimeter uh, still camera that you, you know just the normal one that everyone would have for taking snapshots in their house and I started to really experiment with that um I guess I didn't even know that that was art and what I was doing was art making. And when I started to go to college and um, kind of study art making more, I I realized that, okay, I've been doing that for like a really long time, but I was just really bored. So I would go with my sister when I was babysitting her, my baby sister, and just like take her out the back of her fields and just dress her up and take pictures of her or like, my cousin would come over and we'd be like super bored. So we just take out this VHS camera and just, I don't know, make some like short film, which is funny to look back on now, but anything to pass the time in this like small town in Ireland. Whereabouts in Tipperary did you grow up? 
Uh, Ross Gray. So it's just a very small town. It's like population five thousand. Like nothing is there. Yeah, you're. Um, I'm a Tullamore woman, so you're not. You're not too far away from from my um, hometown. Um, yeah. so I, I know Ross Gray fairly okay, yeah. well. Um, so. Yeah. Was it? And the reason I ask is I I wonder, you know, were there artists in the community? Were there? Mm. Um, and I've said this before, I think it was Michelle Obama um, who said it like it's very hard to be something that you can't see. So were yeah. there people that you could look up to? I don't think there were. I think most of growing up in or most of my teenage years, at least, I was kind of looking up more to musicians I guess and that were in my hometown and stuff like that but even that I it was very like slight um amount of people there and there, there unfortunately there wasn't like this creative community in in this town it was probably like most young people growing up in small towns in Ireland it was pretty hardcore it was there wasn't anything there um there's no resources for like young people growing up there there's like no forms of entertainment. So you kind of had to like create that yourself. And I don't think I understood really what the art world was until I left my hometown. So yeah, growing up there was like um, pretty yeah, hardcore, I would say. I think it's one of those careers, like I think particularly for, like you said, musicians, like we see gigs, we see concerts on yeah. and we we know what it is to go and practice to say, learn how to play a guitar. Um, yeah. there's, there's like a clear thing there, whereas it can be sometimes very hard to figure out, particularly when you're interested in art, but not really knowing where to start and not really knowing what an artist looks like or or, or how exactly. what their day looks like. Exactly. Yeah. So where did you go to college then? So when I was when I was at about 17, I actually applied to UCC to study English literature. Um, and I, yeah, and I thought that I was going to get into that. But then I my leaving cert results came out and they were not so good because I really didn't like school. So I didn't get in and I was like, oh, my God, like everybody's leaving and like all my friends were moving away and I was like, I really also want to leave. So just last minute, I found this darkroom um, photography course, uh, a PLC course in St. John's College in Cork. Um, and I just like very quickly like applied, got in and then moved to Cork. And then I started to study this. And this course, like, I, I mean, I've been through many, much education after that course, but now I might look back on that course and like, it was really like such a fantastic course because they started you out um, with just like a very basic uh, analog camera and you could only shoot black and white. And we had to like study all the black and white photographers and they really like made you kind of perfect that before you could move on to color and move on to other cameras. And this kind of like rigorous learning and also being so hands-on, like bringing us into the dark room and really learning the process of developing your own film and developing your own photos. It was like, at the time I was so young, so I was just, okay, yeah, this is just like what college is. This is, you know, this is just life now as a student. But since I left and went through much education after that, I'm like, yeah, it was it was a really great course. And then I went on after that to do um, a BA in Crawford College of Art in Cork. And I went there for four years, I think. So that's where I studied college. 
Crawford is famous for producing mm. some fantastic and very well-known artists. What's it like to be a student there? It was like, I think I grew so much there. Like every year there was so different. Like the first year, I think I was really kind of figuring out like what my language was. And I was doing many different things like collaging, sculpture and just like, yeah, just energy was going in many different directions. And then as I started to go on, I started to kind of go back to photography. And then I started to kind of find this language that I still use now, which is um, making work about my family and, you know, my own experience growing there. So my bachelor's degree show was about, it was called Daughters, and it was about um, my nieces and my sister's relationships with their kids and and also my nephew. And just like, yeah, how how girls are socialized in a family and how that's different from, you know, how a boy might be brought up. But going to Crawford, I would say it was like so much happened in in those four years. There was like a lot of um, input from different lectures there and different visiting lectures. And it it was very interesting. They had good resources, I think. So it was, yeah, it was quite a rich experience, I would say. You said there your your work you you you're focused on the family and and particularly how girls are raised. What interests yeah. you about that particular subject matter? I guess at this time I was just like uh, I was feeling like it's quite unfair how girls are socialized, and I was thinking a lot about my childhood and about how some um, some girls are or some people who are assigned female birth are kind of socialized in this way that you know you should be uh, a good girl or you know you should be quiet and you know all of the the usual ways in which children are I guess I would say domesticated and of course boys uh, face a similar thing in that they can't be emotional and that they should be tough and they don't really have like space to you know express their emotions but I guess yeah at that time I still identified as female but I, I think all of my work has just kind of orbited around gender and what a family does to like to a person who might be kind of outside of that and then I guess later on now that I'm looking at um, my family it's from a totally different perspective because I'm out as a trans man and I'm out as queer and now my perspective on this has kind of totally shifted but I guess yeah I've just been very interested in gender for many years before I even understood like what the kind of um, side or aspects of um, gendered socialization were. And can I ask there, you said there like you're out and known as being a, a transgender man. So when did that like, and forgive me if I'm using the wrong terminology, but um, yeah. when did you realize that, you know, when when did yeah. you, you, um, you, you come to that, that realization for yourself? I guess like most trans people I know, it's like a very slow process. And I think a lot of people might think that, you know, you just wake up one day and you're like, aha, this is this is it. And it's all like makes sense. But it's very, very like, at least for me and the people that I'm in community with, it's a very slow process. And I think, you know, when I look back on many projects I was making and then also just my own like personal relationships, it, it kind of makes sense that, you know, I look back and I'm like, OK, yeah, that that was because, you know, I was feeling like pressure to be a certain way and because I wasn't living so freely. 
And then I guess for a few years, I was um, thinking that I might be non-binary and using gender neutral pronouns. So using they and them. And then I started to feel like, I, I guess when they were used for me, I never felt like this kind of like deep happiness. And then like somebody in my life um, started to use he, him pronouns for me and started to refer to me with like male words. And that felt really good. And I was like, okay, now that makes sense. So I guess it's been the last two years that I've been slowly like telling people close to me. And then I guess this kind of last year, I was like, okay, now professionally, I'll just put it all out there. So it's, it's been a year of being like out uh, to everybody basically. And I don't want to use a cliche, but it sounds to me like there was a journey there, you know, that, like Mm. you said, like it wasn't like a light bulb went off. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, it's a lifelong journey. And even though, like, and it's, it, it's, it can be a very difficult, difficult process. Some people can find it very easy for me. It was just like, I guess, so the difference between that I, or that I feel now to before is that even though I was like questioning things around gender, there was this like cloud of confusion and this kind of lack of, of clarity about my own feelings and my own situation and now that I'm kind of out and I'm on hormones, I just feel like this cloud has kind of like moved away. And it, it can it's such a revelation to just to just not even know that you're kind of living in a cloud. And then when you just start to like make steps towards something, you're like, OK, now things feel a lot clearer and I have a lot more like peace, which is really welcome. Very nice. That's a really powerful thing to say that you have peace like. I don't know many people that would say that about their lives. Yeah, and I think especially like I I know from being in community with a lot of trans and queer people that finding that kind of peace is like really, really hard because even if you feel okay about things yourself, you know, it can, there's so much pressure coming from other places and there's so much um, that even if you kind of feel a certain way inside yourself, that maybe that's not what the world sees when they look at you. So it can be really hard to to find peace within that. So I'm very grateful that I'm at that moment. And it's because of my family and friends also, because they've been so amazing and really supportive. Has it, and I'm going to assume the answer to this is yes, but I, I, I let you do it yourself. Um, has it impacted mm-hmm. on your, well, your creative practice, the way you approach being an artist? Yeah, I think it has. Um, I've, I I make a lot of work collaboratively at the moment. So I'm working with a lot of other trans people and a lot of other trans masculine people taking photographs and um, kind of slowly shooting this documentary about my own process and my own transition and I think this clarity like I spoke about had that coming into my own um like research just having this like mental clarity has really helped my process as well because I before I had yeah all of these kind of disparate ideas and not really knowing what kind of linked them together and now that I have this kind of more stable sense of self I guess I can kind of, I feel, I guess, more assured that I'm like, okay, I'm on the right track and I can trust my process and I can trust my intuition and why I'm asking certain questions and, you know, why I'm interested in certain areas and not to like kind of second guess that all the time, but just to really go where my intuition is taking me. You said that that you're working collaboratively at at the moment uh, quite a bit. So a lot of people, Mm -hmm. you know, might think of, 
the artist or the musician or the writer in their studio doing their thing, that it's a a solo Mm. thing. So collaboration for you, what way does that work? Last year, I've been um, kind of branching out in how I collaborate with people. So it can be on a photography project, basically, where I'm just like now I'm working on this project with this festival of political photography here in Finland. And it's this year long um, documentary project where I like meet up with different trans people and document their transition, but also in the past, I've made other photo projects um, about queer people and representation and about how we might want to be seen in the world. Because I think a lot of the time, um, the images made of a queer community are from people that are outside of the community. And even if they're trying to help and trying to like highlight, it can sometimes bring in this kind of power play that I didn't feel comfortable with as a queer person. So I wanted to just kind of facilitate this um image of a person as they would want to be seen in the world so i was going to people's homes and some people wanted to be photographed crying because they were you know transitioning and taking estrogen and that really helped them cry and as people that were socialized as male they didn't have the space to cry so but yeah there's many different ways in which i collaborate but i really love to work with other people i find it very enriching that's interesting because i know like um it's not it's not for everybody. It's, you know, some people very much prefer for, for doing their, their thing. And it's a, it's a solo thing. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear from somebody who, who does t- like participate actively in collaborating. Now, I know a lot of the work that we've spoken about today so far has been about, you know, as you said yourself, like with about family and how, you know, we growing up are, are, are socialised um, in general terms. And you've spoken about the the trans community and the queer community. Do you, I'm interested in what you said there about that when we, when we see the trans community or, or the LGBT community as a whole, portrayed in art in media that it's often from an outsider's perspective so I'm wondering then that you you've taken on this this role in portraying it from the inside do you see yourself as an activist I I don't know if I ever would use that word but I I am very interested in in queer activism of course and in people who kind of um have practices that kind of span or like kind of bring in this community work and or visual representation or or, yeah I guess I'm very interested in in activist work and Shia I'm wondering like you said over the past year you you you're out and proud I suppose is the term that's used um and you feel at peace and you've gotten support from your immediate friends and family what's the community reaction been like I feel very good. I feel really happy. And I, I luckily, I guess also lockdown um, kind of forces you to be surrounded by people who are like very close to you. So I've had no bad experiences or anything like that. And so, you know, I've been surrounded by people that I'm very close to and people who I feel like see me. And I guess, but that is also in general, how I, how I live my life. I kind of don't really have tolerance for people who don't, um, you know, want to see me or accept me. But I, I feel like since I've kind of come out that even 
in my own personal relationships with my family they've been enriched by this because now they're finally seeing me for who I am and it's it's I think kind of brought this ease into my relationships and also uh, on a different level um I lately I started this fundraiser to sell my artwork to raise um money for my top surgery and I thought this was going to be like quite a long process you know like oh, maybe a few months um and I was like I probably won't raise all the money but that's fine like anything will help because uh, I had all of this artwork that I had produced and my MA in Finland and I was somewhere basically and then I started the fundraiser and within four days I had reached my goal and then I kept it up for wow. another week and the surplus money went to other trans people so yeah I've received much much love in the past year so that's amazing yeah. that's absolutely amazing like you know four days is that's that's no mean uh, feat yeah I was in in shock because the goal was five and a half thousand so it's not like it's small money or anything like that and yeah it just it was just like pouring in and I was, I, yeah, I, I'm still, I think in about it all, to be honest, but I'm really happy that the artwork has found home and that I'm able to get this surgery and that I was able to donate to other people's uh, fundraisers. So it, it, it's good. So you're living in Finland. Uh, what a year to be living abroad. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> why, um, out of all the countries in the world, why Finland? <laughs> I when I was studying my BA I went I, I had an option to do an Erasmus semester abroad and the only two uh, colleges were two colleges in Finland in Lati and Tampere which are towns kind of north of Helsinki um, and I was just like okay I would like a change of scenery so I'll just go to Tampere so I went there and then I was kind of shocked at like how different the school system was like they just had clearly you know they're a richer country so they just had so much resources like if you wanted to like print something you could do this if you wanted to like shoot a film then there would be like you know a professional sound designer who would help you like do everything and you would have like a crew and there was just this kind of I guess this kind of attitude that art and that I've now discovered is is just being in society here that like Art making is a real profession here. And of course it is in Ireland as well, but there's really, I think there's still a battle in Ireland to be taken seriously as an artist. And, you know, if you're, say you're an artist, a lot of people are just kind of have this certain idea of you and are kind of like, they, I don't think they believe that you can maybe make a living from it. Um, so when I saw that here, they were taking it like quite seriously. Um, I was like, okay, I, I would like to, maybe come back here someday but then I went back to Ireland and uh, after my BA I was like oh I don't know where I should go so I tried to live in Berlin and I just really didn't like Berlin at all so then I went back to Ireland and I was like okay I could do an MA and where could I do one and then I saw this school in Helsinki and uh, they have free tuition here as well so I was like okay why not apply and then I applied and I got in so that's what brought me here. God, it sounds tempting. <laughs> it, yeah. it's, it sounds it sounds idyllic, to be honest, because I know I teach in a third level college here, so we always are fighting for resources. So, so yeah, that that sounds yeah. in very interesting. And um, you said yeah. there, and I think you're right, like that. It it there's a fight still on to be taken 
professionally serious uh, artists, yeah. creatives, whatever terminology that you want to use um, in Ireland. Yeah. I think we, and yeah. it's one of the reasons I started Ireland Creates because I think we sell ourselves internationally as a society that supports creative people. We, we you know, we're in Star Wars. We're, you know, we do all of these things that on the outside look like we love our artists and our creatives, but there seems yeah. to be a um, a preference for looking back at the old Ireland and the artists yeah. that have been and have now passed on and perhaps not yeah. enough focus on what we can do as a society to actually foster creative people here. What would, having experienced a different yeah. system, um, and now that you're experiencing life in a radically different culture when it comes to the, yeah. these kind of attitudes, what do you think we could do better in Ireland? I think it's just like there's there's many ways in which this could happen. And I also have been thinking about this a lot and thinking about, you know, what would have been different for me as a child growing up there? Like how how could I have seen like more possibilities? And I think for me i would be if i was to do something i would be very interested in like working with young people and showing them how what an artist could look like and how you can create art yourself and how you don't need you know like a lot of amazing artists you don't need to be trained at you know a special school or anything like that that you know it just comes from your own imagination and i think also yeah i'm really confused sometimes by Ireland's attitude and this thing I think a lot of people would that I know of my generation would maybe relate to this that a lot of the time you have to leave and do things in another country and then when you do things abroad then they're like ah oh, okay now so oh we have our homegrown talent and you know then things start happening for you but it's I think it's the of course it also comes down to there's not a lot of money in Ireland for the arts. And of course, that's, you know, the government, but also, you know, not having as much resources as a country like Finland. But I think the grant system is still so competitive in Ireland and like only a lucky few get it. And that makes it really hard and really painful. And a lot of people have to leave because they can't, you know, work under that system. So I think, you know, of course, on the government level, more funding for the arts and, you know, a campaign to show that the arts is an actual um, profession, but then to really work with young people, especially in these places like I grew up, I think like these towns where nothing much is happening and show them, you know, the wealth of possibilities of, of being an artist and that it is actually possible to have it as a job and that you don't, if, if that's something you feel um, passionate about that you don't have to sacrifice it to work you know a nine to five or whatever that you can actually go down that route uh, of course it is a lot harder but it's it's possible at least I know that you know your life is now now in Finland and you're you're working away there and it's it, you're a kind of um if you don't mind me saying so, um, an artist who's hard to pigeonhole. You 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 seem to like you know um, <laughs> multiple different forms of making art, like photographs, sculpture, poetry. Yeah. Um, so, how would you describe you as an artist? Hmm. I think I don't know. Actually, 
I don't know if I could actually describe myself, but I guess I guess a lot of my work does come from like it all goes back to that training in this darkroom course, I feel like. And I'm I feel like a lot of my influence comes from lens based media. So also cinema. Um, and yeah, I feel like I kind of need this practice that has a lot of different mediums because I, if I focus on one thing for too long, then I end up getting kind of like restless and bored with it. So I usually in my own practice, I could be working on like four or five different projects at once, which is probably not so good for your brain or energy level. Um, sometimes I can reach a burnout because I'm like, I, I you know, I start working on one thing and then get an idea for another thing. And then I go there and I just feel very inspired. So I'm like, I keep going and then, you know, sometimes I have to be like, okay, I'm one person. I cannot do all of these things at once. But yeah, I guess like if I was to think about my influences, that a lot of it comes from the world of, of lens-based media and cinema in, in specifically. And I know to date, you know, much of your work, as we said, it's it's around marginalized community. Can you see, can you see that you doing that long term? Yeah, and I would really love to like push it more into like um, kind of bigger scale or longer scale projects because, of course, I've been working with, you know, I've come from this art school background. So much of the work, especially when it comes to like making film, is very in an experimental form. And I think I would be really interested in making these like actual long form documentaries about these communities that I'm part of. Um, like I would love to make a documentary about my hometown where I grew up and just kind of about places like that and about maybe young queer and trans people growing up there and then also looking at the communities here. I think um, probably in the next few years, that's I'll probably go more towards this kind of documentary world. That's what I'm really interested in. But yeah, it's something that I don't think I could ever like go away from that kind of making it's just like it's very inherent in in my practice is storytelling you know like you said you were into it as a child is it still because i think for me looking at your work there there is still that tangible story going through it and i'm wondering is it still something that you you focus on yeah i think i think about this like quite a lot and especially you know as a person of a marginalized community I think it's really important um, for people who have been marginalized to kind of take control of their own narrative and that's like the kind of main tenet that's been in my work and trying to teach that to you know my nieces and nephews growing up that you know if you're going through something that is traumatic or you know if you if things feel overwhelming that you think about things, me having control over my language and over what said about my experience and you know that really um comes from me and that's like something that you can never really lose once you realize the importance of it so I think this is like yeah a very main tenet in my work I would say do you feel any kind of pressure um, to be a good role model for younger trans people? Um, like, I, 
like I feel very blessed. I grew up in my immediate world with very strong feminine is feminist independent women I, I I could look to them in my immediate circle and then at the time you know Mary Robinson had just become president you know there, there was very prominent female leaders in Ireland um, when I was yeah. small and yeah. as as a trans man now I'm wondering like that's we, we wouldn't have had trans men or yeah. women or trans people being showcased in Ireland when, when you and I were younger yeah. so is there I wonder I, and I don't know if it's a negative pressure or a welcome pressure but is yeah. there a pressure there to be a role model for younger trans people I think there's this feeling in me as that yeah that I should like speak out about things for, for sure I don't feel like it's a pressure but I feel like it's a really important thing and also because I realize how important representation has been for my own kind of journey and my own process and I think that when I think back on um, growing up and wondering you know what could have been different that that is the main thing that I think if that had been um, there that you know of course it wouldn't have been so confusing if somebody is visible like you said at the beginning then if you know if you see something then you can be like ah, oh, okay so that's a possibility for me but if you go up and you don't see things being visible, then you don't even know that they're a possibility for you. And I think especially in the trans community, trans men are still like so invisible. Like I think a lot of people are even quite confused sometimes. Like they, you know, they might hear more about trans women and, you know, it's not like it's positive representation for trans women either. They face like, you know, great violence and great danger by being out and all and being being visible. But people I think know more at least about the about trans women but I think trans men are still so invisible and a lot of the representation that I know um like the most famous uh representation of a trans man is this film Boys Don't Cry I don't know if you remember it um Hilary Swank and it's a true story um about trans men going up uh, or not going up trans men having a relationship in so much violence and it really focuses on the violence that this person encountered and, and this person was, was murdered um, because he was trans. And I think, you know, growing up, if that's the kind of only representation you see of a trans man, then you're not going to ever be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go down there. I'm going to go down that route because it's you just kind of equated with, with violence. So I think being visible as a trans person um, and being visible in a way where it's like I'm not centering all of my traumatic experience um, in my visibility that I'm just like I'm just a normal person I just happen to be trans and I think growing up if I had seen that I think it would have been like quite groundbreaking for me so I hope that my visibility and the visibility of other trans people will, will really help other people growing up. Not every artist would choose to make themselves and their life the subject of their art. It requires you to put yourself in a very vulnerable space. How, like, why put yourself through it? I think I I get power from it. I, I, of course, it's, it can be painful sometimes because when you're working with projects, uh, sometimes you're also working with your own personal feelings uh, about something. So it can be, you know, it, these things can get mixed. And especially when I was working on my um, MA work here in Finland, I was looking, I, thinking about my own childhood and looking at my niece's childhood. And I shot all of this 
footage over like eight years of them growing up. So this was kind of like a very emotional process. But what I get from it is so um, generative and so there's so much power in it that for me, it just, I can't imagine really doing anything else. And it's because I know it so well, you know, it's my, my, um, my life basically. And it's my narrative. And I don't think I can speak about other things as well as I can speak about the things that I've lived. So I think for me, it's just, it feels really right for me to work this way. Yeah. I, yeah, I I hear that. Um, I've done a lot of work around um, mental health, I suppose, uh, and yeah. invisible disability in my own art practice. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and yeah, it's and, uh, it's not been the easiest thing to do. And putting yeah. yourself out there in that way is often challenging and something that I think particularly in Ireland, we don't tend to support all that much. Um, you know, why do you need yeah. to go and do that? Like, why why bother? And why, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if we call them the, the neck curtain witchers or what we want to call them, but the naysayers. <laughs> um, yeah. But it is something, and I think it's something to be admired, you know, that, 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 that we see artists still having the courage to show, you know, this is me. And I'm proud, mm-hmm. of, it, proud of it, uh, you know, and you take from it what you will. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think it's just, yeah, really important to take that into your own hands like what is being because if I wasn't speaking about trans men you know I mean I'm not that I'm the only voice but if if trans men were not speaking about the experience of being uh, a trans man then whose hands is it going to be in it's it could be in someone who's outside the community who doesn't think yeah, and I suppose it's always that that old saying, and it's a cliche as well. But um, history is written by the victors. You know, we don't hear, mm-hmm. you know, the other side of what life was like uh, during a particular crisis or whatever the situation may have been. So yeah. I know, as we said, that you know storytelling is still very much to the fore of what you do. So I'm wondering, what does storytelling mean to you? I think, like I said, it's it's. If I was to put it very simply, it's taking control over your own narrative and kind of deriving autonomy and power from that. And also, I think the more I start to work in this way, the more I start to realize the power of an archive and thinking about what has been left behind and thinking about the queer people who, you know, have been um, subject to so much violence and whose legacies have been wiped out, whose, you know, letters have been burned because of homophobia. And I think the more I start to like make things, the more I think about um, what might le- might be left behind and how storytelling is so important to that. So, yeah, I think it's, it's about leaving things behind for future generations and also about, you know, taking control of your life while you're living it. Well, Shia Conlon, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you and Thank you for bearing with me as we had all of those technical issues through the recording over the past couple of days. Um, But I have really enjoyed hearing from you and I look forward as a fellow Midlands person, I look forward to seeing your work showcased in Ross Grey in the not too distant future, I do hope. Um, Thank you so much for joining us on Ireland Creates. No problem. Thank you so much for having me, Ashley. It was lovely. I'd like to thank Shia Conlon so much for joining me on this week's episode of Ireland Creates. 
if it was your first listen to the podcast I hope you enjoyed it please do follow us on all the various podcast platforms and go on if you want give us a review on Apple Podcasts it actually does count towards spreading the word about Ireland Creates that's it for us this week I'll be back next week with another episode of Ireland Creates between now and then stay safe and share your story